Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It's August 6, 2018, and I'm joined by Mike Warren and Ethan Epstein of The Weekly Standard. You survived the weekend, gentlemen? Somehow we did. I'm pinching my... I appear to still be alive, yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I sort of survived. I, I got a wasp sting on my foot, which is now about twice the normal size, so um, you won't actually be seeing me, but I... I, I own no shoes that I would be able to wear Jeez. Until, until I recover from this. So my advice is if you can avoid uh, wearing, you know, being barefoot or wearing sandals around a wasp nest, you know, go for it. Really, You could avoid the outdoors altogether. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. That's the safer <laughs> thing. Although, you know, there's lots of sharp objects inside. Good point. Most Let's accidents about- happen in the home, Charlie. It- Exactly. Yes. That, that's, that is that is true. Or or in the wood pile out behind my house. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the president picking a fight with LeBron James. We'll talk about his tweet where he basically uh, appears to acknowledge uh, what that Trump Tower meeting was all about after denying it. And we'll talk about uh, whether or not we should have a take on the New York Times and its latest uh, tech hire. But let's start off with some uh, breaking news on this Monday, the restoration of sanctions against Iran. Uh, give me your sense, uh, uh, Mike, of uh, of what this means and what we should be looking at. Well, this isn't any surprise. We have new sanctions, um, well, I should say old sanctions that are now reimposed uh, on Iran, um, mostly on transactions having to do with um, metal objects, things like gold and steel. Um, graphite was one of the ones that the administration named. Um, it's, a, it's a part of what we should have expected since May when the president announced we were pulling out. We were going to not be waiving the sanctions that had been waived since 2015 when the Obama administration brokered this deal. So it's all a part and parcel of the administration's uh, plan to get out of the Iran deal. Uh, I think the the important thing to note here is that uh, while this is sort of part of the plan, things have obviously not been static in Iran. The economy has really um, been hurting uh, since that, that May announcement um, because business had reopened in Iran, particularly from uh, Europeans, but also um, Asian nations like China and, and Japan and South Korea that purchase oil from Iran. Um, and so things have gotten a lot worse now that we've uh, pulled out of uh, the deal, and uh, and there's some unrest in Iran, and uh, I think the administration is really trying to capitalize on an opportunity um, to really stick the uh, regime in Tehran uh, with uh, the bill, so to speak, for for um, its actions, um, all of its malign actions, the funding of terrorism. So the administration is really couching these new these reimposed. Uh, sanctions as a way of getting the uh, regime's ability to fund terrorism, uh, you know, these uh, uh, funding the IRGC in places like Syria that's, you know, killing innocent people on behalf of Bashar al-Assad. So um, the other thing they've announced, Charlie, is um, is uh, they expect all the sanctions to be reimposed that were lifted uh, by November or by some date in November. Uh, Ethan, what's the end game here, though? Are we going to have a summit between uh, between President Trump and the Ayatollah? Well, I mean, that's the question is, is this sort of the North Korea playbook, which, as we know, mm-hmm. was uh, sort of characterized by the ramping up of sanctions and also the ramping up of rhetoric, uh, which we've also seen um, from the president towards Iran, as he had towards North Korea last year, all as a prelude to, a, 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 you know, a, a beautiful photo op in Singapore, you know, maybe in Dubai for the Iran meeting. 
I think that's possible. I also think, um, but you know, it's true of North Korea too. I was going to say he's surrounded by hawkish aides that don't really want to, you know, cut a deal here. So I, it might be less likely, but um, I, yes, I think that's, it, this is what, probably what, about compelling a meeting. So what is more likely to happen? Donald Trump sits down with Robert Mueller or that Donald Trump sits down with the Ayatollah? <laughs> I think Mule. I think Mule wants that one more. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, well, and actually, I should. I should. Um, we should be correct here that um, the idea is to meet with Hassan Rouhani, the right. president of mm-hmm. Iran, yeah. uh, not the Ayatollah, which would be that. That would be revolutionary, so yes. to speak. Yes. <laughs> um, but I, I was. Be, I was being snarky, and you were correct. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's Monday morning. Yeah, how am I supposed to pick up on the, uh, on the on the snark and the sarcasm? No, but I. So, I mean, this is an interesting question, and and I have not heard. I have asked the administration. Um, uh, to answer this question, and they've been unable to and unwilling to so far, which is, um, remember last week when uh, Trump said, he was asked at a press conference at the White House, whether he would meet with Rouhani with no preconditions? Yeah. And he said, yes, no preconditions. And he said it like over and over again, um, clearly something he wanted to say. Um, I thought at the time that it was sort of something he kind of said off the off the cuff. He really sort of hadn't considered the the actual ramifications of what that means. And, right. and in fact, Secretary of State Pompeo, essentially a couple hours later, essentially uh, backed off of that and said, of course, Iran would have to agree to several things that they're now doing to stop doing those things before we would be able to meet with them. Uh, but the administration this morning, when when talking with reporters about uh, the the sanctions, you know, left they said, "Listen, the um, this is not uh, the only choice. You know, the Iranian government can meet with the president. The president's willing to meet with him. Um, the question I have is." Have there been any actual uh, discussions, officially or unofficially, about brokering such a meeting? The the big difference between this and North Korea is North Korea was so is so and was so isolated um, on the on the um, world stage. Here you've got it's a little more complicated because there are a lot of countries, as I mentioned, who are or would like to be in business with Iran. Um, the question is, would they be more willing uh, to give up business with the United States if it comes to that? I'm probably not, but but that makes it a little more complicated. Okay, let's talk about uh, the president's tweets because it's the Monday morning, right? And in America in 2018, the first thing you do is what did the president tweet about over the weekend? He picked a fight with LeBron James. Let's put that aside for a second. The the tweet about the uh, Russia uh, meeting with with the, with the Russians in Trump Tower is the one that's the most, uh, I, I think, intriguing because the president, whether he intended to or not, and of course we have no way of knowing, um, appears to acknowledge that this meeting was about getting dirt from the Russians about an opponent, which he says is completely normal. It is completely um, routine in in American politics. And of course, uh, yes, that may, we'll leave that aside for a moment, but of course that completely contradicts what the president himself said when he, you know, hand drafted that, uh, that statement on, on Air Force One. Um, so where where are we at on all of this? So the the goalposts seem to be moving rather radically. From there was no meeting; it's a complete uh, falsehood. To uh, maybe there was a meeting, but it had nothing to do with with opposition research. It was all about it was all about adoptions. To yes, there was a meeting, and we wanted to get dirt from the Russians on Hillary Clinton. And there's nothing wrong with collusion. So, oh, well, take, what, take it away. Yeah, I, what's kind yeah. of funny about this is. 
it, this actually appears to be the president following uh, defenders of his in the media. So I noticed that this has sort of become a meme among more of the pro-Trump commentary on talk radio, Twitter, et cetera, where they have essentially acknowledged that that's what this meeting was, uh, but that that's fine. You know, that this is just par for the course. This is just politics. So it's actually – they started this line of argument and Trump now seems to have parroted it. I mean one other point I would make is that – okay. This, by the way, is an excellent point. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just want to underline this. This is a very good point you're making. Uh, I, I concur. Uh, <laughs> I, the, the other thing I would point out is that – Okay, well, let's even accept that uh, the premise is true that you often meet with foreign governments to get dirt on opponents. I'm not even sure that's true. What is indisputable is that that information, there was a high chance that it had been purloined, that it was stolen in an illegal operation, which actually makes it a far more uh, legally and ethnically complex question as to whether you take the meeting. Yeah, I, that, that's right. I mean, this is what we keep missing in here. And it's it was interesting. This this defense is positively Clintonian, right? I mean, Trump is so much like the Clintons in the way that he sort of uh, can change the story. And he's he, he was always telling the truth, you know, in his in his mind. Um, and 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 I think that that's also the approach to this um, this defense, right, which is that um, everybody does it, right? This was a classic Clinton defense that this is no big deal, um, which, yeah, I, 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 right, stipulate that uh, that maybe it maybe it is no big deal that it was with the foreign government, although we should note that, um, it, well, okay, let's just stipulate that. The, the fact that it was stolen, I mean, we go back to the 2000 election. Um, there was a, um, a dossier, if you, to use a term, uh, of uh, the Bush campaign's plans for a debate with Al Gore that Al Gore's campaign somehow ended up with. Um, clearly, it was stolen. You know what the Al Gore campaign did? They went to the FBI. Um, and that's sort of what you do. I, now, the question about whether this was done maliciously by the – or, you know, that the Trump campaign sort of knew what they were doing or was it amateur hour or did they have no idea that this was even a problem um, is maybe an important distinction but i don't know if the law really cares about that distinction but i th think that's that's what's really going on here and the and the, the president sort of uh accepting that narrative I, I think just shows how 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 vacuous its defenses that trump's defenses and trump world's defenses were at every stage of this um it's just situational it's waiting to see what other news comes out and, and and a lot of his defenders accept that uh, so this is a, a tweet i'm, I'm, I'm uh, to give credit where credit is due, this is David Frum, whose position is well known, who basically says, look, here, here's some facts here. They knew they would be meeting with representatives of the Russian state. They knew they were being offered Russian state intelligence. They intended to use the Russian intelligence offered by Russian agents against an American opponent. They did not alert the FBI. So, yes, these these are all factual. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this, because I was rereading some of the the headlines from a Watergate, because that, of course, uh, the the uh, the smoking gun tape was was released in in 19 uh, in 1974, you know, on this on this on this date that if this just some and I'm, I'm, I should give credit where credit is due. Somebody wrote. You know, just imagine for a moment that Donald Trump had not made any of these public statements. There was no uh, Twitter that, in fact, this uh, this information had all been gleaned by the investigators, you know, through hard, you know, uh, uh, through you know, forensic work or, uh, you know, witnesses flipping how damaging it would be. And in some ways, it appears that the Trump and Giuliani have adopted a strategy that is very close to, you know what, we're just going to admit everything in public and say we did it in public. You know, did we obstruct justice? Well, damn right. We're, that's fighting back. Uh, well, of course we did this. 
um, as if somehow by acknowledging it and tweeting it, he makes what would otherwise be regarded as really extraordinary evidence of a conspiracy makes it look normal, makes it look like what's what is the big deal? What law is being broken? Can't we just get back to blank? It's a great point. And it, it, I wonder if Paul Manafort is kicking himself for not trying to tamper with those witnesses via Twitter. Yeah, it, it, no. <laughs> OK, no, this is I'm sorry, Ethan, you're having a good morning here <laughs> because, you know, it, it, I, I've, I've thought for a long time. You know, people are saying, well, they're investigating obstruction of justice. I mean, hello, the obstruction of justice is in broad daylight. He's being very, very public about it. Yes, I want to shut down this investigation. <laughs> yes, I, I want to tamper with witnesses by, you know, uh, by attacking the charges against them, by suggesting that we might give them pardons, all of this stuff. Everything is out in the open. And I, I wonder whether or not, you know, at the at the end of the day, um, that might actually work for Trump in the sense that, that, that his brazenness is so brazen. I mean, he is right. standing in the middle of Fifth Avenue right now. He's right. not trying to hide it. He's <laughs> it, not to, trying to pretend, you know, uh, you know I, I didn't do it. He's like, yeah, here it is. This is my gun. I shot that guy. Right, <laughs> right, right. But, but you know, it, but then he says, you know, but look, there's pe- people get shot in New York City all the time. You know, what's the what's the big deal? You know, how do we know the Clintons didn't yeah. shoot somebody? <laughs> uh, I mean, th- it's the muddling the issue and it's it's trying to say it's no big deal. I think I think you guys are absolutely right uh, about this. I, uh, I think the there's a responsibility though of people uh, out there in in the in the media in particularly in the trump friendly media um who ought to know better than to sort of support this um line line of uh, of argument because i think it's just when you step away from it all you don't have to believe that th- this invalidates the 2016 election right. which i don't think it does you I don't have to believe that it's an impeachable offense or that it's a, a offense that must uh, necessitate his removal from office. Um, I think that I've, my jury is still out on that question. Um, but just grapple with the facts as they are, which uh, is, is that here, here are the facts the the president and the people around him have, uh, have, have tried to obfuscate what the truth is about this. Maybe the truth uh, really isn't that bad. Maybe the truth is just something everybody else does. But the fact that they have lied about it um, is is significant. And at least as journalists, we should be willing to say um, it's a lie. They misinformed us or they're trying to distract us from what the real issue is instead of trying to make it all about something else, that, that it's somehow the deep state's fault or the mainstream media's fault. Well, um, it, 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 it's, it, it, sure. The buck stops, doesn't it? Yeah, it ought to. Take, take one step even further back from that, that what we know is that the, the Russians did intend to intervene in our elections. You know, they, they, they whether the word meddling just seems to, uh, seems to benign. But, you know, so this country is, is under attack from the Russians who do not wish us well. And one would think that you know, no matter what you think about, you know, Supreme Court justices or tax cuts, that that should unite both political parties, that we really need to find out exactly what did the Russians do. We need to alert the, the American public to to the threat. We need to confront it as directly as possible and prevent future attacks. You know, it was a bizarre scene last week. Was it last Thursday when all of the national security folks came out and gave that uh, that that exceptional briefing where they talked about what the Russians were doing, uh, how we had to uh, be, you know, to be vigilant and how we were going to retaliate against them. I don't think they used that word. Uh, and then the president, you know, goes out uh, in a political rally where once again he's referring to this as a hoax, this cognitive dissonance 
between the the actual nature of the threat, which is acknowledged by our intelligence agencies, and the president's indifference and hostility to getting to the bottom of it is really extraordinary. And this is the one thing that, you know, again, I understand why many Republicans support the president's agenda, but does that need to translate into supporting, you know, looking the other way uh, uh, to the looking the other way you know, from the, the Russian attack and the fact, as you point out, Michael, that the president and his team have just lied about this so often. If there's nothing there, I mean, this is right. another one of my, I, if, if there's nothing there, if nobody did anything wrong, why were there so many lies? Why are so many people uh, so willing to mislead the public and even their colleagues about what they said and what they did? Well, don't discount the possibility that if lying is in your nature, then that's kind of what you just do. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of willing to believe that, um, again, very much like the Clintons, that 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 Trump world lies even when it doesn't have to. Um, there may be something there. Um, and I think that lying uh, so so frequently suggests that there is. But it also, I think, is, is so um, uh, natural uh, to Trump. It's sort of the, his MO. It's the way of sort of getting through anything. Can I say something real quick about the nature of the Russian threat? I It's almost as if Trump's inability to um, just admit that it happened um, almost causes an overreaction among uh, uh, among government officials and certainly among the media it's about the the about the nature of the of the threat from Russia I mean it's it's I think it's actually something that's that's pretty um, uh, surmountable um, that it's actually something that we can deal with as a country um, but we have the sort of uh, over the top um, uh, having those five officials up there at the White House mm-hmm. is almost a, a, a PR response to tr- to to Trump's inability to just admit what's obvious um, so that we can actually just do what we have to do. I mean, it, a lot of this stuff doesn't even have to really be, um, uh, uh, you know, out in front of the public at all times. But because I think mm-hmm. Trump has sort of sowed uh, the, the, you know, the belief that it didn't happen or maybe it was other people, now we feel that the need to sort of raise it to the level of the terrorism threat like post 9-11, which which I don't think it is. It's still important and it's still urgent, um, but it's 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 this weird yeah, situation. Okay. So, so, Ethan, you want to weigh in on this last word? I agree with Mike. And um, actually, if you um, it, it's a coup to Putin, too, um, to, oh to God. it's yeah. it, it makes him look all powerful. And in fact, you know, people <laughs> he's not. and he's not and people that oppose Putin in Russia have have indicated that they're a little worried that if we turn him into Darth Vader, that that actually strengthens him at home. Um, so, you know, I I agree with both of you in that it is a, it's a legitimate threat, of course, but it's also one that we should, uh, you know, bear in mind on a on a what 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 the global scale really is. Okay, because because everybody else in the world is uh, is commenting, on, we have to comment. On the New York Times hiring of uh, no, we don't, I, Charlie. I, I, by the way, <laughs> I, I'm going to apologize in advance for not really knowing how to pronounce her name. Uh, Sarah Jong, sure, J J E O N G. It's one of the the uh, occupational hazards of having to say things. Um, look, my, my of course everybody knows the background on this. She's got a a long, 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 long history of uh, tweeting offensive things that uh, could be interpreted if, uh, as a as a racist unless of course you believe that that um, racism against white people can't be racism because they're they're white people um, uh, 
you know, I mean, just some of these these tweets. I open my mouth to politely greet a Republican, but nothing but an unending cascade of vomit flows from my face. Hashtag cancel white people. Um, white people have stopped breeding. You all go extinct soon. This was my plan all along. Are white people genetically predisposed to burn faster in the sun, thus logically being only fit to live underground like groveling um, goblins? And OK, so it goes on and on and on. Her defense appears to be that she was goaded into this or reacting to attacks on her uh, as, as a Korean-American. The New York Times has issued a statement um, basically saying, uh, well, we're not going to fire her, but uh, these kinds of tweets are, are unacceptable. So. Ethan, weigh in on whether or not we should have a take or not have a take on having a take. Uh, firstly, take let me say I I don't think the excuse is true. I think they're lying. Like she, I mean, she, this this was a thing that occurred over many years. But I also don't think that I'm the HR manager at the New York Times, and I don't think you are either, and I don't think Mike is either. I actually am. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have an announcement. I, I find it bizarre this notion that the New York Times and a few months ago the Atlantic and you know pick your publication are this are public property that the public has a has a veto on re- regarding hiring decisions, personnel decisions. I find it bizarre i don't i don't think it's our business who the new york times chooses to hire okay i completely agree with that um and 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 also i i think it i, I find it highly disturbing that people that we've made this almost the blood sport of firing people for their past tweets or their past comments but of course people raise the i think completely legitimate point all right kevin williamson gets fired and sarah jong uh, keeps her her job i mean i, I think it's fair to say uh, ethan and mike that if you, you or I, had tweeted any of these things and substituted blacks or Hispanic or um, any other ethnic or religious group, we would not only not be doing this podcast today, that we would probably never work in American journalism, much less at the pinnacles of American journalism again. So the question is, are there completely different standards? Well, and I also think that, you know, in the context... And I think this was, I, I don't know whether it was, was Ben Shapiro, you know, this is the problem, the problem you read so much, whether it was Ben Shapiro or Matt Lewis who made the point, look, you know, we're in the midst of this culture war in which uh, Trump uh, and his supporters are trying to portray the mainstream media as engaging in a cultural attack upon America and hiring someone who has these attitudes and then standing behind her certainly seems to feed that narrative. So let's weigh in on whether or not there's a double standard. I'm not and sure. I, I mean, again, I stipulate that the New York Times and the Atlantic have every right to hire or not hire whoever they want. I guess the one thing I would caution about whether or not there's a double standard is we're actually talking about incidents that happened at two separate publications. So maybe James Bennett actually stands by his writers in a way that um, Jeff Goldberg doesn't. And I think more evidence of that is that there's been a huge campaign to get Barry Weiss, who's another sort of right-leaning writer at the New York Times, fired as well. There was a huge move to get Brett Brett Stevens Stevens fired. And James Bennett has actually not pulled the trigger on any of those, whereas Jeffrey Goldberg did. So we could actually be talking about one uh, braver editor versus a more uh, spineless one over the, the Atlantic. Okay. Yeah, I mean, look, look uh, Charlie, I, I think that this, Ethan gets to the, the point that has frustrated me in general about the way that 
that people and readers uh, engage with the media, um, which is this sense that um, the media is either sort of a public property uh, or somehow like a, a, a part of a representative yeah. government. I mean, the fourth this estate, air of entitlement about it, right? But but I think there's this idea, and I see it in the way that people um, sort of respond to uh, the Weekly Standard when we write things that are um, oppositional to Donald Trump, um, because most of our readers are conservatives and Republicans and probably supporters of Donald Trump, um, there's a uh, this frustration like, well, why can't you guys um, uh, just get on the team? And of course, we we do have people and we do have issues on which we are on the team, so to speak, but we're not actually on a team. Um, right. And we don't actually represent anybody but ourselves and our own views and our own reporting and our own analysis. So, um, but, but I think that the nature of the internet um, and 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 the, the you mentioned Ethan entitlement, and I think that that has a negative connotation, but even in a neutral connotation, the sort of um, it's mine. Uh, that that culture of uh, this belongs to me. This is my 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 music playlist. Uh, my my movie queue um, mm-hmm. is all sort of tailored to me. Um, that that has well, sort of a very permeated sense of that. You yes, know, I you you see that among uh, you know listeners of NPR, um, you know viewers of MSNBC, readers of the Weekly Standard, the National Review. Absolutely, this yeah, exactly. You know, you know, I came here to have a safe space. Why should I be exposed to this? That's that's right. Yes, and and, and okay, so, but we're kind of dancing. We're kind of dancing around this this key thing here, which is the the essential defense of her seems to be that it is not it does not constitute racism or not uh, unacceptable racism to say things about white people that if you said them about black people would be disqualifying. Well, I mean, isn't this the argument that you know, if, 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 if you wrote a tweet that says hashtag cancel black people or you wrote, oh, man, it's kind of sick how much joy um I get out of being cruel to old black women. She wrote cruel to old white men. And this appears to be the argument that because, and we've heard this for now decades, that the only kind of racism that is really evil is racism directed at marginalized or oppressed groups. Therefore, this kind of language or attacks on white people is not really racism because we are privileged, we are in power, therefore it is different. Well, what's funny is the New York – I mean yes, people in the media have made that argument. But what's funny is the New York and, Times – And academia. And academia, of course, and you know that's been the sort of sociological view of racism for a long time. They did not take that line. They simply said it's satire and you know it's, it's not a real expression of anything, whereas the other defenders are actually saying – own it. I mean, where she absolutely said that sincerely, but it can't be racist. I mean, you're right there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you. It's, it's, but it's cultural. It's, 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 which is so much harder uh, to shape and regulate. I mean, I, I suppose. Um, let's put it, let's put it. Yeah. If, if there were a New York times writer who it was found out had written, um, such things about black people, for instance, um, yes, you would have out, I mean, it, it would be no question. There would be yeah. absolutely no question that that person wouldn't even get to the outrage. It would not even get to, it would yeah. be, it would, they would be gone before anybody knew anything. And, and, and frankly, that's, that is a, um, that is a disparity, so to speak, um, in the way that, that we approach these things that I, I don't know what the answer is. I, what I do know yeah. is the 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 answer to me 
is um, uh, for for writers who say controversial things um, is uh, is that it's it's like pornography, right? You sort of know it when you see it, um, and um, there are it, it is up to somebody like James Bennett or um, Dean McCat mm-hmm. at the New York Times um, to make that call. Uh, and if you don't like it, um, I think you should start. I think you should start your own publication, or you should start your own place. Uh, but the marketplace is not going to be. Uh, very friendly to uh, any any organization that sort of embraces this that kind of talk. Um, I would argue with what Ethan said is correct that the Times has not embraced that. Um, they've made an argument that it wasn't sincere, um, and uh, mm. I mean you can either take them at their word or or not. Um, but I I, I just so th- th- this is a, a time okay. that's so fraught for uh, freedom of speech. I think that that any defense of freedom of speech should be um, should be supported and and not uh, and not sort of sliced and diced. Okay, that uh, one one last topic here in the in the few minutes that we have. Uh, the president of the United States. I, I we didn't want to spend too much time on the president's tweets, but we'll we'll come we'll come back to it. Picked a fight with LeBron James. Now LeBron James goes uh, goes on Don Lemon's show on CNN, makes some disparaging remarks about the president, but it's also in the context of James doing some rather extraordinary things with uh, with with schools with his own money. The president of the United States feels that he has to punch back and picks yet another fight. This is the way it's being cast. Picks another fight with a prominent black athlete attacking attacking LeBron James and Don Lemon um, and Maxine Waters, uh, all as low IQ people, dumb people. You know, one once again, uh, you know, well, uh, we'll let, let, let you weigh in on all of that, because you know, I, I I have to I have to admit I'm always reluctant to play the race card, but it does not seem it it certainly seems to me to be an, an a pretty discernible pattern that the president really feels it works in his favor in in the culture wars to pick fights with prominent black people, and he does have a penchant also for attacking them as low IQ individuals. Yeah, I feel, mean, feel free to push back on. Me. No, I mean it's 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 uncomfortable because um, it 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 appears that way, and of course you can't know um, about uh, sort of what really does go go on behind these tweets, but you you notice a pattern, and um, I think it's I think it is uh, as Daniel Patrick Moynihan used to call it, like sort of uh, uh, what it was boob bait for the, um, the for Bubba's, for, for Bubba's. Yeah, and yeah. it's this idea, and it's actually I think a very low opinion that 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 Trump tends to have about his own supporters, which is that this is what they actually want oh, to you hear. You know, that's, you know, I, I hate the term dog whistle. And I also think that if, that if this is not a dog whistle, I think it's, I think it's more like a kazoo. Um, <laughs> but, 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 you, but you're right. He, he just seems to go out of his way. And I, I see that, uh, that Dinesh D'Souza feels the way to, you know, feels the need to weigh in on this. And of course, uh, I think it expresses the new ethos of Trump world by saying, OK, so LeBron James takes a swing at the president and the president, uh, you know, hits back because he fights, you know, and everybody's upset about it. Well, the president doesn't have to push back or, or swing back at every private citizen that says something derogatory about him. I mean, you know, somebody. Ought to well, just watch him, Charlie. Just watch <laughs> yeah, him. Yeah, 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 just 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 watch. Um, but also. You know, the most extraordinary thing, I think the most extraordinary thing about this is because we've seen him, you know, use, you know, use the NFL, you know, pick out, you know, Steph Curry, you know, pick out Maxine White before. I mean, I I think we've seen this pattern. But what I thought was extraordinary was uh, the first lady Melania Trump uh, then issues a statement praising LeBron James for his philanthropy and suggesting that she was open to visiting his school. I mean, that was a 
Whoa. Trouble in paradise? I, I, I perish the thought. Next thing we'll hear, they're not even sleeping in the same bedroom. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> no, wait. Can, can, I, can I say this real quick, uh, Charlie, yeah. that I agree with President Trump. I like Mike a lot better than LeBron <laughs> James. I mean, you have six rings, to, uh, two three-peats uh, for, for Michael Jordan. I mean, it's no contest, really. Yeah. No, I, I tend to agree, though, that LeBron James is the greatest of all time. But, but And also then Michael Jordan has to weigh in saying that he likes LeBron James. It seemed a – on one level, it seems to be a completely gratuitous waste of time for the president to just lash out at a, at a private citizen. But again, this pattern – is disturbing. Um, I mean, it, it ought to be. It, it ought to be disturbing, and and very clearly. And you make the point, Mike, that you know maybe this is an you know an, another sign of, of contempt for the base. That you know, let's go after a another black man because this is this is the red meat for the base. Um, there's also I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Daily Two O Two over at the Washington Post where. James Homan kind of draws a, a link between this and says, you know, and, and think what's going on with the Republican Party in Virginia. You guys are a lot closer to this than I am. But the Corey Stewart campaign, I mean, whew, yeah, that was, there's quite a New York oh. Times article about it over yeah. uh, over the weekend. I, yeah. And what's interesting, too, about the Trump attacks on, as you know, LeBron James, et cetera, is that the defense is hardly a characterological defense either. I mean, I, I heard Anthony Scaramucci talking about it. He was like, well, no, no, it's not racist. He's just like a gratuitous jerk to everybody, um, which is, <laughs> which, you know, OK. That's a great defense as far as it goes, I suppose. <laughs> He's an equal opportunity yes. hater. Yeah. No, I, 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 I'm, as, as, and people think, okay, so do you think that's a defense? Exactly. I mean, that, that was what the defender was saying. <laughs> no, I think, I think Charlie, it's, it, it's, it's a little, it's disturbing because it feels uh, that there's, there's an end to this. And you can see this in the way that, um, that young Republicans are, are just less enthusiastic about Trump even. I mean, so, so I guess there's a, a positive element to this is that if there is a kind of, um, if there really is some kind of political gain from talking this way, it's um, for for lack of a better term, sort of dying out. Um, that of course, even even young Republicans are you know more used to, um, for lack of a better term, a multicultural society and these things, and are, are just familiar with it. But um, I, I I just I refuse to believe that. Um, if you really push your average Republican voter, that they're they're actually okay with this. I think there's a sort of a, a mania going on where if if Trump says it, it needs to be defended or it needs to be yeah, uh, excused. And and I just I, I I hope because I think people are better, but and I think Republicans are better than the that. bar. Yeah, from, that's from a path- I mean unacceptable to becoming acceptable. And I you agree know, with Mike. People but, go okay, maybe I should refer to black people I disagree with as low IQ. I just think that that in itself like. Is a it's a defense, but it is a shoddy defense too. Like it, it doesn't speak well of people. No, no, you're right. No, that's a, that's a fair point. It's just it, it, I, I try. I I hope that people the, the better angels sort of we can we can appeal to that. But it, it's it, it, this is what a demagogue does, and 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 it's not it's not pretty. Yes, well, see, I I do think that that's what we ought to be concerned about. Is 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 he actually changing what is acceptable? You know, is you know the thought leaders can appeal to the better angels, or it can tap in and go, okay, you really want to say this? You oh, really, he's really already want to believe it. this? Okay, here's my favorite conspiracy theory of of, of the weekend, and I, I have to admit that that probably um, after a couple of gin and tonics over the weekend, um, I did suggest to somebody, you know, this QAnon thing. 
is so bizarre. I'm trying to get my head around understanding how anyone could be so dumb as to believe QAnon. And I see this morning that there is a piece, uh, is it on BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed suggesting yeah. that uh, the evidence is mounting that QAnon is in fact a leftist troll hoax basically put out there to see, you know, whether or not I could get people on uh, the, the Trumpist right to believe it, which was exactly what I was thinking, because it is so ridiculous. It is so deranged and insane that it's almost as if it was cooked up in a laboratory saying, OK, let's throw in this absurd thing, that absurd thing, and let's see whether or not we can get people to buy it. And of course, we're now finding that they are. Yeah. So QAnon is a, a, a person online who claims to be sort of embedded in the deep state in that and and keeps promising almost like a uh kind of like a millenarian millenarian you know uh, a prophet that that uh this will it will all come out uh, uh the truth will all come out about how the deep state is trying to destroy the presidency of Donald Trump um and and I guess it it kind of came into the mainstream because there were people at the rally in Tampa, Trump's rally last week in Tampa, who were wearing the T-shirts and talking about QAnon and all this stuff. And I mean, it, do you remember there was a Twitter account at the very beginning called like Rogue West Wing staff, the very beginning of the Trump uh, oh, administration, yeah. and it was a parody, um, but a lot of people took it seriously. Um, it was supposed to be sort of uh, this is what's this is what's really happening in the West Wing. I'm a Rogue West Wing staffer. It would not surprise me if this is the case. It would also not surprise me if it is just some troll who is is apolitical and is just simply trying to find uh, uh, people who will go along with it. But it, the the whole idea is is so ridiculous yeah. that that it must be. It, there is no actual QAnon who's in the deep state. Um, but then again, that could be QAnon, you know, controlling me. I'm the marionette, you know, with the strings. It, it, you, it, it could be you. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me on a uh, on a Monday morning. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll do this all over again. <laughs>